Real estate investors are incredible at finding creative ways to make money in this field. There's a method that most real estate investors are missing out on, and I'll admit, even I hadn't heard about this method I will discuss today until just now. In this episode, I talk with Debbie Liu, a local investor here in Arizona. Now, Debbie has become an expert in subject to purchases. But to complement her subject to acquisitions, she has an incredible method for getting her money to double dip into investments. And if you're able to understand and conquer this unconventional method of investing, not only will you have an extraordinary capacity to grow your investment portfolio, but you'll also have your money working literally twice as hard for you. Learn about that next, but first, our intro. This is Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate, where we guide you through the relentless pursuit of financial independence. I'm your host, Justin Moy, Managing Partner at Perpetual Wealth Capital, a multifamily real estate investing firm that lets everyday people invest passively in income-producing apartment buildings. Hey, investors. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate. Today, I'm sitting down with Debbie Liu. Now, Debbie is a local investor here in Arizona who's found a great niche for acquiring additional properties for her portfolio. Debbie is well-versed in subject to financing and has found a unique way to leverage her whole life insurance policy to acquire more assets. Debbie, we're really excited to have you here and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for having me. It's my honor. Tell us a little bit about your background and investing history. Okay. So I uh, immigrated here from Taiwan when I was 14 years old. No English background, but as Asian family, we work hard and my parents were expecting us to just pick up things quickly. So I graduated with interior design major. Didn't go that route, but instead I got married to my ex-husband. And I was doing import and export business for about 13 years. We actually own our factory in China, export out to America and distribute it here throughout states. I was doing multi-million dollars operation back then. I got divorced, so I had to find a way to bring in the income to support my three girls, little ones. Back then, I picked real estate to start. Yeah, so that's how I started real estate career and journey. That's incredible. And talk about the adversity of overcoming challenges. I mean, this industry is already so tough and having that additional obstacle of coming in and no English background. And I've traveled to other countries before and I was only there for a couple of weeks, but not speaking the language is such an obstacle and people overcoming that I've always had amazing respect for. A lot of people start off maybe in real estate sales or they maybe buy one or two rentals. What was the first step you took in your real estate journey? Basically, I just went ahead and took my real estate broker license. Oh, straight to it. Went straight to it, yeah. (laughs) And then I started out with vacant lot sales, actually. I was making pretty good money. Back then, it was like 10% commission. So I was doing pretty well. And then uh, the company, actually, the operation, they shut down. So I quickly transformed myself into residential portion. And yeah, just learn everything I could. 
Absolutely. And then then. eventually you fell into the subject to financing realm. Now I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. What exactly is subject to financing? Why do investors use it? And why would sellers go for that type of deal? Tell us about subject twos. I acquire my subject two in Florida. I mean, I've never seen the property, but the reason that Sub two is good is because I didn't have to go through the bank. Basically, I just actually took over the seller's payment because he was in pre foreclosure stage. And I actually went ahead and solved his issue because he couldn't afford anymore. And I've told him I can basically take over your payment. And so you don't have to have back credit on your credit report. Basically, just told him I can do that. And then he's like, yeah, that's perfect. So that means he can also buy another house without back credit. Is that always going to be the case? Or is there any other scenario that sellers would be open to a subject to deal? No, not necessarily just in distress situation. For someone that they kind of wanted to move forward, like my mentor pays, they want to build a brand new house, but they need to sell their house quickly because it was on the market for a while. So that's when we can negotiate and take over the payment. And then so they can move on to their next house. So you're taking over the payments for them. And that's, I would assume, at the same conditions that their previous mortgage was on. So if it's, let's say, a 4% rate, you're just taking over completely. Why wouldn't you purchase it conventionally and just pay off the loan with the proceeds? Is there not enough proceeds to pay off that loan? You mean we just go in and buy that property? As an investor, we basically wanted to leverage our cash. So we don't have to go through the bank. For example, if I have $100,000, I can literally buy 10 houses subject to instead of putting 25% down and then just go through all the paperwork, all the hassle. We can just take over the payment with lower amount of money. And for a seller, it's actually a win-win situation because if they're in a distress situation, a lot of them just want to give up the property. So are you paying them anything that's the equivalent of a down payment, like any kind of payment upfront to the seller? Or what's the upfront expense that you go through? Or are you just taking over the payments and that's it? Now your expense is just monthly. Is there any upfront expense to doing something like this? Majority of time, if they're under distress, they probably don't have any equity in the property anymore. So that is probably a lower entry fee. We probably just tell them, maybe give them a couple thousand to relocate or something and just take over the property. But if they have equity still in the property, then we'll just negotiate with them as a second note. And then maybe give them a little bit of monthly payment to cover that second note. Got it. So let's say they do have equity in the property. Are most people wanting like, hey, I have $50,000 of equity. I want $50,000 right now. Or are you almost always negotiating? Hey, we'll pay you $50,000 over, let's call it 10 years on a monthly basis. Is there something that's typical in the market or is it all negotiable? And what are you seeing most sellers leaning towards? It's all negotiable. (laughs) Yeah. You can give them a little bit upfront and then spread out 30 years or maybe 15 years. It's all depending on your personal financing situation. But I typically don't like to tie up my money 
in one transaction, basically just spread out. So you would rather spread it out. So let's say your ideal scenario, are you paying them 0% or a small portion of that equity? And then you're paying it over, let's say every month for the next couple of years. Is that something that a lot of sellers push back on? You know, Do they all tend to want their money now? Because that seems like kind of the logical thing to do. And how do you address that to kind of make them see your vision of, well, hey, it's better to let us spread these payments out. What are sellers' typical objections to that type of setup? I mean, as an investor, we all are looking for cash flow. So if I'm going to rent that property out, I have to run my number and make right. sure my rental income can cover everything I'm paying seller. So that's how I would address that issue saying, hey, if I give you this 50000 I mean, I can go out and buy probably three or four properties. I don't like to tie it up just at your property. So... Plus, I need to rent this property out. I'm not going to live here. So I definitely need to make sure there is a cash flow coming in as an investor. Got it. So it sounds like a lot of the times, maybe the seller has some type of unique scenario. So how are you finding those owners? Do you do ads? Do you have mailers? I know some people will put signs up around the neighborhood. Where are you finding subject to leads? It's a long list, but... Typically, I think probate is pretty good list to kind of follow up just because a lot of them inherited the property. So they don't have any emotion type to the property. It's easier to acquire the property that way. You get it from the county or from a city or where are you getting that list from? Or you pay a service? I work with probate attorneys. So I get the referral. Yeah. So if you are able to network, Maybe that might be a better way, or you can just purchase the list. Another list is good as pre-foreclosure is just because they're under stress sure. kind of situation already. So it's easier. This goes back to flashbacks when I was in real estate sales. Lawyers get hammered with people asking for business or asking to be that go-to divorce lawyers or probate lawyers, delinquency lawyers, anybody like that. So what are some things that you've done to successfully set yourself apart from those other people and be the actual person that's top of mind for these lawyers when they have a viable property for you to buy? How have you addressed that? Typically, you know, the attorney, when they get that type of lead coming in, they have to handle quite a bit of things for the people with the death in the family that they have to clean up the house, that tons of things they have to handle. If we can take over that headache, from the attorney, they will open up a conversation with you. It's like, okay, if you can take over all this headache from me, got it. Then, you know, it's a win win for both of you because you're essentially taking additional steps off of their plate. So they can really just focus on the legal right. side of it. And then you're coming in and maybe cleaning up a bit or taking care of some of those smaller administrative tasks. And then that's kind of the benefit that you have for the lawyer. Correct. I know a lot of people do buy lists. Do you ever buy lists? And I know a lot will send mailers or some people will hire cold callers. Do you have any experience there or is all your business pretty much come from the lawyers? I actually try the list as well. I have VA working for me, but for me, I network quite a bit. I create relationships. So that's my focus actually right now. Got it. So relationship with lawyers is definitely, you've seen better results with that. And are you 
networking by going into their office or are you going to local real estate investing meetups? Is that where you're finding them or is there other meetups that you look for here in the area? I attend quite a bit of meetups locally. Normally when I go, I typically will pick certain people that I've never met before. Sure. And then just talk to them and you're going to see a lot of familiar faces each time you go there. So, but the way I network is I will pick several people that I've never met before, start a conversation. And that way I will create more contact. That's how we got in touch. We had a meetup here and now we work together and we looked at properties together. And so it's definitely something that works quite a bit, getting in front of other people, no matter how nerve wracking it is. And those are typically the highest payoff activities. So I'd love to change gears here and talk about something that you've mentioned to me before that I thought was absolutely fascinating and not enough people know about. So you have a strategy that you've told me about that involves using your whole life insurance policy to acquire more properties. Can you walk us through that and exactly how that works? So I was introduced by an investor friend of mine. So he told me about infinity banking concept. He stressed very, very hard on me. So you need to be your own banker using your money, not pay any interest to other people. So he introduced me to this using your whole life insurance. When you get your whole life insurance, you're literally put your money inside of your policy and then you can borrow against it. Meaning your money inside of your policy is still making uninterrupted compound interest. and at 4% guarantee, use that as a collateral and then borrow money out at about 5% interest rate. And then you can do your flips or you can be a private lender. Heart money is about 10%-ish. So meaning you're borrow at 5% and then that means you already save 5% interest if you're using your own money. But for me, I like to lend it to other people and make it 10 to 12%. And then there is a 7%. Let's say if I get 12% interest rate being a uh, private lender, there we go. Arbitrage, the difference. So I'm making 7% interest on this side. On the right side, I'm still making 4% guaranteed interest, compound interest. That's a powerful, powerful concept. So that's how I would really suggest anyone who's watching or listening right now to really think about this concept. And then if you guys want to learn more, definitely feel free to reach out to me. Absolutely. And we'll put your info in the show notes and we'll have you talk about that a little bit more, how people can contact you. Cause I think that's really great. And that arbitrage is a huge way that a lot of people make money in this business. That's kind of a pro tip. A lot of people who do that private money lending don't really have millions of dollars sitting in the bank. They're making money on some type of arbitrage. So that's fantastic. So let's say you have a million dollar life insurance policy. Are you able to take out at any time you want, like let's say 500,000 of that to lend out private money or hard money or exactly how does that process work? Because I think that part is what maybe intimidates a lot of people is because it's so unconventional. It's not really a bank, but it kind of functions like one. So walk us through kind of the numbers. Let's say you have a million dollar life insurance policy. How does it work to actually get money out of that? Each policy is actually customized based on your needs. But as an investor, for example, your 
insurance policy is at one million. That is your death benefit, but it doesn't mean you have a million dollars in there. Yeah, it depends on how much money you want to put in. For example, you want to put in fifty thousand a year into your policy, so that is your cash value that you can borrow against, not one million. So I want to make that a little bit clear: not that you have a million dollars that you can use, but you're actually using your cash value that you build up each year. And then you're essentially double dipping because that account is getting their compound interest. So let's say you put in over a couple of years, you've accumulated a $300,000 of value in there, not including the compound interest. So now you can go out and say, Hey, this home flipper wants to pay me 12% for $200,000. Let me take out my 200,000, give it to them. Let's call it 10 or 12% on that. And then you still have a hundred thousand dollars collecting, let's call it 4% in air quotes, the account there, you're making the arbitrage and then you're also kind of double dipping then. Let me correct a little bit. So when you say 300,000, that 300,000 actually is always 300,000. You're actually borrowing money from live insurance company. Got it. And then 300,000, your money is actually still there making 4% compound interest. And so then so that's, that's the a dual asset. So then that's the percentage you're paying. Essentially, the life insurance company saying, sure, we'll lend this out to you. And they're making, I forgot what you said, maybe four or 5%. About 5% interest. Wow. Double dipping. I like that word. Yeah. Double <laughs> we'll call that dual asset. And then on top of that, guess what? You still have the death benefit. In case you graduate, that will benefit your family as well. Wow, that's incredible. And do you need a special company to do this? Do all life insurance companies offer this? Do you need to have a separate policies or is it any life insurance company should offer something like this? Yeah, I work with a special company that they customize specially for investor. So if anybody is interested, feel free to reach out. I will refer that company to you. That's fantastic. I mean, I really, really like that strategy. And another unique way to think about investing. So a lot of people, when they get in the real estate space, they get hyper-focused on one thing. And sometimes that's good, but sometimes it blinds you from seeing other opportunities, something like this. So you really keeping your eyes out, seeing what can I do with this money? I don't have to only flip homes or do subject to, I can do a lot of other things. And there's so many ways to make money in real estate. And that's one of the most unique ones that I've heard. And I'm glad we have the new term, the double dipping. I really enjoy that, putting your money to work for you in multiple avenues. Wow, that's fantastic. Debbie, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an amazing show. I love your unique perspective on things. Listeners, if you haven't already, head to the show notes and download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Building Generational Wealth and Passive Cash Flow Through Multifamily Real Estate. Now, Debbie, how can people get in touch with you? They can contact me through my IG account. It's at 8TopLadyBoss, or they can just love it. call me. Awesome. And you're okay for us to put that info in the show notes for them? Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Debbie, for coming on. We love your perspective on things. And listeners, thank you for spending your time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>